Today's episode of the JJ Reddick Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event or concert or Broadway show, use promo code JJ, download the SeatGeek app, or go right to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by Belvedere. Produced in one of the world's longest-running distilleries, Belvedere Vodka is the world's finest all-natural vodka. Crafted by a collective of master distillers, Belvedere is made with non-GMO Polish rye, pure water, and no additives. Recognized for quality, Belvedere was named the ISC World Vodka Producer of the Year in 2015, 2016, and 2017. You know it's good stuff. Enjoy a delicious cocktail like a Moscow Mule with Belvedere Vodka today, and remember to always drink responsibly. Welcome to the JJ Reddick Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, where I interview some of the biggest names in sports and culture, as well as give you an inside look at life in the NBA. Usually on this podcast, I'm the one asking the questions, but this week I decided to let you guys ask the questions for my first mailbag episode. You guys sent in a lot of great questions to jjmailbagpod at gmail.com, and I'm excited to answer them, so let's dive right in. Welcome to this week's episode of the JJ Reddick podcast, a very special and different week. Uh, we are going to do a mailbag episode. Um, so there was a, uh, a tweet going out a few days ago uh, to send in your questions to a random email address. And, and Tommy here has gathered those questions. Tommy, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for having me, JJ. Thank, so Tom, you ev- thank you, everyone, for sending in the questions. I- I'm looking over some of these questions. There's some phenomenal questions here. I think we should just jump right in and get to the questions. Let's do Why it. don't you read them, and, uh, and I'll give you my best response. Phil Shore is our first question tonight from Gainesville, Virginia. As someone who has been a captain, a veteran on a team full of youth, and someone that played for great coaches like Doc Rivers and Coach K, what, in your experience, JJ, are the best leadership traits and strategies? It's a great question, Phil. So it's actually interesting. I I think about this a lot uh, in terms of leadership. And so often uh, the media, fans, uh, really our culture as a whole sort of identifies like bravado and talking a lot and sort of having this alpha personality as being a leader. And that to me, in my experience, is sort of the opposite of what I've experienced. And really, I, the first trait I think of when I think of the best leaders I've ever been around is humility. Um, Jameer Nelson is a great example of that. Um, he's just a humble, uh, nice person, uh, and people follow him. And is that is that a coincidence that he's been in the league for this long? No, I think that's why he, he that's honestly, why, that's, that's why, why he still works. has a job. Yeah, And, and people people respond to him. Coach K, I think his greatest strength has always been adaptability, um, whether that's how he coaches a team or whether that's how he utilizes 
the one and done era. Yeah. <laughs> and he's sort of figured that out where he was at first a little, uh, you know, hesitant to, to sort of buy into this uh, idea of just recruiting kids to come in for one year. And, and now he's, he's got a one and done factory basically. <laughs> um, and then the third thing I think for, for a, specifically a coach in terms of uh, what a great leadership strategy is, is empowerment. Ultimately, you know, you want to empower your players in a business. You want to empower your employees. Um, you know, the goal should be as a leader to, to not just like do everything and put everything on your plate, yeah. but to actually delegate and empower the people around you to do their job at a high level. Spencer Roach from Austin, Texas, your former hometown. Best city. Steve Nash, uh, on your pod a few years ago, mentioned it took him a few years after retirement to touch a basketball again. Are you going to be hitting the YMCA gym a la your friend Jamal Crawford once you retire? Are you going to focus on staking, uh, staying active a different way? I would I would say the, the latter there would be my my strategy for retirement. You're not, you're not popping in in random <laughs> random gyms around New York and Philly. I have no idea if I have two two sons, and I have no idea if they're going to play basketball. But I would venture to say, if they don't play basketball, I will probably never touch a basketball again. Um, and that's, I'm okay with that. That's amazing. I will this watch is, basketball. Dude, like I look forward to retirement because like I'm going to go to every freaking Duke game. I'm gonna if I you know if I, we stay in Brooklyn I'll go yeah. to NBA games when when guys are in town that I want to see play, but I I don't I don't see myself shooting just not literally not even picking up a basketball. No, I won't ever. I won't ever go into a gym. <laughs> this is newsworthy. This is newsworthy. No, I, it's, there's a I think I think Nash maybe it was Nash that I talked about this. Yeah, privately, not on my pod, but you know there, there's like a there's like a burden as a shooter for some reason. The, the burden to make shots. Well, the amount of time you spend, the repetition yeah, and everything yeah, like that. Yeah, it's just, that, it, it's not that it's traumatic, yeah. but it's something where like, there's there's a... Well, you also can't just roll into a gym and miss four threes. And, like, that doesn't work yeah. for you mentally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, if you're, not, if you're not hitting at a high clip, it's, yeah. you're going to be unhappy. It's going to be, it's going to turn into a mental issue rather also, than a physical issue. As much as I, as much as I love shooting, and that's the drug for me, is like seeing the ball go through the net. I've talked about it before. There's a little mini orgasm that happens in my brain every time that I see the ball go through the net. Who did you say that to, to Henri? <laughs> Yeah, I think I said it on this. Yeah, you said it. I think you said it to Thierry Henry. And, oh, Thierry Henry. And he yeah, was yeah. Super, <laughs> just like, what? Do, how do I respond? In to a that? room of like fifteen people, <laughs> no one knew how to respond. Um, but like, I, 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 I don't know that there's a point when I'm retired. Like, what is the point of me going to the gym? So here's my strategy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna golf. I've retired from golf until I'm retired from basketball to protect myself. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play tennis. My wife which plays keep tennis. You in shape. Yeah, which will keep me in shape. And then for cardio, I think I'm going to try swimming. Interesting. Yeah. Do you swim now or no? I'm not very good, but my so I have a couple of friends that like are former Olympic swimmers, and and we're going to do some lessons. Like, so you're going to be you're going to be the the low man <laughs> on the totem pole, and you're going to have to work your way, which is good. It's humbling yeah. for you in a way. You have to go. I know it gives me something the, to work for. Go be mediocre at a sport for a chance for a change. And I'm going to be John Hamm in Mad Men. <laughs> Just We're swimming laps to- at 6 a.m. We got next one. Patrick, <laughs> Patrick Use, um, no city given. What was the draft process like for you? 
Did you know for a while you were going to the Magic, or was it a surprise? Did you ever think you were going elsewhere? If there's not a city next to the name, should I assume that these are fake questions? Um, I would not make that assumption. I would just think <laughs> that these people smartly don't put their where they're from in the okay. email. <laughs> All right, Patrick. Uh, you know what? The draft no process. One can, no one can make up this last name. <laughs> E-U-S-E. This That's is, right. This is real. Patrick Smith would be. Okay, so <laughs> the draft process for me was actually incredibly stressful because uh, the combine was like, about two and a half weeks before the draft at the time, I went to the combine. My back had been bothering me. I ended up getting an MRI on the day of the testing because I was hurting so bad. They said I had a, a herniated disc in my back. So I begged, actually, I begged Ned Cohen, who's now our assistant GM. He was working for the league at the time. Huh. Can I please leave? I need to go get an epidural at Duke. He let me leave a day early. And then that night I went back to my apartment in Durham and there was like two random people staying at my place. And uh, so I was like, fuck it, I'm going wait, out. Wait, two random, <laughs> what kind of random people? Like, did so you know I, there was I had, I had a buddy who was living like in my apartment for the summer because I was in LA that summer. Yeah. And he like had invited his high school friend and his girlfriend. <laughs> and so I get back to my apartment. They're like, it's a one bedroom. So like, they're like staying there. So I'm like, all right, I'm going That's out. so awkward. And it was summer school at Duke, and I ended up getting a DUI. Is you know, one of the worst nights of my life. Um, we can go into greater, greater yeah, that's, detail that's a, about that's that. That's another podcast. Yeah, that's another podcast. And then, uh, so I had a, a back injury and a DUI two weeks before the draft. And so I had to cancel the rest of my workouts. Uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to, you know, drop in the draft. I remember just sitting in jail with no shoes on and thinking to myself, like, I'm going overseas, everything that I've worked for in the last four years, you know, is, is just gone because of a, a bad decision. And, uh, and then as we got closer to the draft, you know, I knew that I wasn't going to go past Orlando. I, there was kind of a, a possibility of me going to Houston at eight. They ended up making a trade, uh, Rudy Gay for, for Shane Battier. Nine, Golden State, I had my worst workout. I didn't think I was going to go there. And then 10, Seattle, I had a, a fantastic workout. I really thought they were going to draft me. And they ended up drafting a guy by the name of Mohamed Sayer Sene, who didn't make it past his second year. Hmm. Are you are you one of those people that remembers every detail of the people that were picked before you? <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> I found that a lot of NBA. I, I would say yeah. I would say the vast majority of NBA guys are like that. No matter how much, at least you admit it. Many of them won't admit it, yeah. but they know everything. They know every. I, when it got to like <clears throat> when it got to like year five or six, and like more than half of my draft class was out of the league, I felt like vindicated. And now it's like there's like only a few of us, like Lamarcus. Uh, Rondo, Kyle Lowry. I'm sure I'm missing somebody, but there's only a few. Of Everyone who stuck around has been an impact player. There's no one yeah. who's been. Yeah. Is it? Does it feel like it was? Uh, does it feel like it was forever ago? Or does it still feel recent at all? Oh my god, it, it feels like feels like a lifetime ago. Um, it's funny. My first, I think my first seven, like my first seven years in the league, flew by. Even though I, early on I wasn't playing well, like that whole time period seems like seems like a two year time period. Yeah. But then I had a kid. And so the last like five years been, <laughs> felt like two decades. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> Sterling Mack, um, I saw you play in 0405 against Oklahoma at the Garden. What's the biggest adjustment you've made from college to the NBA, coming off screens and creating airspace? And was there anyone uh, he mentions Ray Allen or Rip Hamilton that you patterned uh, when when sort of crafting your game? Uh, yeah, I think there, there's two things uh, that I've sort of adjusted to, and that's. Number one, in college, when we would run floppy or any baseline screening action, like I, I didn't really care what side I came off of. Um, you know, I'd come off the left block and, and kind of go left, right footwork, right shoulder shot, and then 
you know, vice versa, right left footwork, right shoulder shot. But when you get to the league, every every everybody that guards me is is so much longer than me. And you know, if they're on my left side as I come off a screen on the left side, then it's really hard to block my shot. Yeah. So typically, I like to come right. Like that's that's kind of. I mean, the whole league knows that it's not like a secret. <laughs> it's not a secret. Although last night in Detroit, I did hit two or three shots coming out the other side, which was nice. But generally speaking, like that's that's one adjustment. The second part is like the hand-to-hand combat part. And this is actually something that I learned from Rip Hamilton when I played against him early on in my career. Um, and that he sort of would initiate contact on any floppy and screening action. And so he would sort of use your own body's momentum against you. And hmm. he would sort of grab you and hold you as the offensive player. And then it's not really a push off. It's more of just like getting you to go one direction as he pulls you. And then he pops out the it's other like side. It's like a bump. It's yeah. Like an the other bump. thing he would do, and which I do all the time is, is like, as the screen is coming towards you, you actually grab the defensive player, not grab, but like you nudge the defensive player into the screen. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I'm getting held the defensive player is getting held. I always like say to the refs, like it's hand to hand combat. Everyone's like, doing it. Yeah, everybody's doing it. So that's that's one thing I took from Rip. But like Rip, Ray, Reggie, those were the three guys that I watched a ton of film on in college that I tried to model my game after. Do you? This is not one of the questions, but do you? When you play a young shooter now, like a young yeah. like last night, Luke Kennard uh, from Duke. Yeah. Who's, who everyone, of course, compares you to because yeah. you guys are two white guys from Duke. But yeah. like when you play a young shooter, are you uh, sort of hesitant at all to give up any of your tricks when you're playing? <laughs> because like this is it's like, funny. I've had a few guys every year will say something like, "Hey man, can I get together with you in the off season?" Uh, like Donovan Mitchell even said that at the beginning of the year. He doesn't need my help. <laughs> uh, but no, he said that about just about shooting. He wanted to know kind of my shooting routine yeah. and stuff and wanted to work out with me in the summer. Um, Luke has always sort of said that. And like Stan, even last night when I talked to him after the game, was like, I really want you to work with Luke in the offseason. We were coming out of the timeout last night and Langston Galloway was like, yo, I need to talk to you. I need to steal some of your shit. <laughs> so like this is like this, this happens. This could be a side this hustle happens. for you. Yeah. This be Actually, what, last year when KG, KG was like our consultant, <laughs> yeah, uh, we had this amazing conversation in the weight room in Charlotte. W- one thing he told me during the conversation was that what he learned from Beyonce was that he um, – he liked to work out and sing at the same time because that's what Beyonce does. So that's how she gets in shape that's is that she, she <laughs> sings and works out at the same time. But the other thing he told me was, is that he's like, basically, I could have my own business just teaching sort of, you know, transitional players, like so college to NBA guys that are like me, the tricks of the trade, yeah. like have like little mini camps during the off season, consulting work during the, during the season where I work with these guys. It's an interesting thought. This is going to be the problem with your, your theory of not picking up a basketball <laughs> yeah. when you're done is you're going to have me facing these seven figure checks to go <laughs> teach shooting for 20 minutes. And it's, <laughs> I mean, if it's seven figures, I'll it's go all, pick up it's a all, ball. It's all coming out the window. All right. Miles from Chicago. You're going to like this one. Yeah. Miles from Chicago. JJ, what's your favorite restaurant to eat in on the road? And what's the worst dining experience you've had? Oh, man. I hate throwing restaurants under the bus. Well, so for the negative one, you don't have to say the name okay. of the restaurant. You can just say this, like the city in the context. Okay. So it's in the New York area. Um, it is a highly rated restaurant. I believe it's somewhere on that. If you listen to the Grant Ackett's podcast, we talked about the San Pellegrino Restaurant Magazine top 50 list. And so it's, it's an expensive. This is an expensive meal. And it was an expensive meal of uh, foraged weeds. And like, I have no problem 
eating foraged items. But at one point, <laughs> they 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 brought me a um, a, a a dish, and they said it was my wife and I were celebrating her birthday, and they said, um, "Here here's our next you know here's our next dish. This is uh, this is our next course. It's it's weeds <laughs> foraged from our garden." And on the side is a pesto made out of the same weeds. <laughs> so they gave me weeds with a weed pesto. And then when we got to, and I'm look, I'm, I get the sustainability thing. And this restaurant takes sustainability to like uber context. But like we, we got to like one of the meat dish, meat courses. And it was uh, these like carnitas, play on carnitas style tacos. And uh, the taco, uh, the, the tortilla itself was inedible. And also- they said to me, uh, you're the, the, we ran out of pig, so unfortunately you got stuck the with the eye socket. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I mean, I would have, like, the shoulder would have been awesome. I realized that wasn't a See, possibility. See, that's just not acceptable at a restaurant like that. You can't run out of it. No, this is your whole job. It's, anyways, it was, a, it, was a, it was one of those, like, three-hour meals. And, yeah. you know, sometimes you just, you really just want to go down to, like, Sweet Green and get, like well, a that's harvest the, bowl. That's the thing with some of these <laughs> with some of these crazy with these crazy five hundred dollar a person restaurants. Yeah. No matter how good they are, you still want to go get a piece of pizza afterwards. And so then it becomes yeah. like, yeah. So one of the things uh, I didn't really talk with Grant about this on the podcast, but you know, in my experience with eating at all these sort of these restaurants, is you know, s- some of it is is like performance art, like Alinea, great food, but it's all there's an element of like art, like literal performance yeah. art to the meal and to the experience. Uh, and then you get these hyper sustainable restaurants, uh, these restaurants that really emphasize foraging like Noma and Copenhagen. And so there's all these sort of copycats of that. But at the end of the day, you really just want to eat like a comforting meal. And so my my answer to the my favorite restaurant to eat in the road would be a, like a tie. And they're both like old school, family run Italian places, uh, one is Ogabiano in Miami. Uh, I know Pop is a big fan of there. Um, there's run by three brothers. One of them is always at the pasta cooking station every night. And the other is Giorgio Baldi in, uh, in, in, in the Palisades. That's I, I just, those are the two restaurants. When I go on the road to those cities, those are the two places I go. I get the same thing every time at both places. That's amazing. Creature of habit. All right, we're going to take a quick break from your emails for a word from today's sponsor. Guys, it's time to freshen up with high-quality products from Dollar Shave Club. DollarShaveClub.com delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. Dollar Shave Club has razors, shave butter, shampoo, body wash, toothpaste, everything you need to look, smell, and feel your best. I get an amazing high-quality shave from my Dollar Shave Club executive razor. It's the best razor I've ever used. Their Dr. Carver's shave butter is fantastic. It goes on clear so you can see where you're shaving. And since Dollar Shave Club delivers everything to you, you don't have to set foot in a store. As everybody knows, like I generally have a beard, but like three or four times a year, I like to just chop everything off and just get a clean shave. Uh, Generally speaking, one of those moments is always after we lose our last game of the season. It's pretty much a guarantee that uh, I will shave either that night or the next morning. And I only use Dollar Shave Club products. In fact, their shave butter is the best I've ever used. Hopefully this year that 
uh, that nice five o'clock shadow slash beard will be going all the way until June. Clean up your bathroom and your morning routine. Join Dollar Shave Club today. And for just $5 with free shipping, uh, you get the six blade executive razor plus trial sizes of shave butter, body cleanser, and the butt wipe, one wipe Charlie's. Uh, then keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash reddick. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash reddick, R-E-D-I-C-K. And now back to the mailbag. Fonz Yap. Nice name. Okay. What's, the dif- what's the biggest difference between playing with a team full of veterans like CP and Jamal Crawford and a young team where you are the oldest player? Are there times where you feel like there's a generational gap uh, between you and guys like Ben and uh, Markel Fultz and Embiid? I think the biggest difference is is the conversation, the topic, the conversation topic that that happens uh, on the bus or plane or in the locker room. Uh, like with guys like CP, uh, DJ, and Blake and Jamal, like the topics would generally be about like our kids, our wives, um, you know, like post career stuff, and. I, whatever the opposite of kids and wives are, <laughs> that's what the conversation is generally <laughs> about right now. Uh, so, I mean, like, look, there, I was a certain way when I was like 20, 21, 22. So it, it, just with, well, with experience comes maturity. Peter Howarth from Massachusetts. Hey, JJ, huge fan of the podcast. What is the most valuable type of player in the league right now? Oof. Well, I, I don't, it's hard to say like the most, I would say there's three things, three types of players really that have a lot of value. Uh, number one would be um, a, a superstar. Obviously those guys always are going to have the most value. Those are the, the super max guys, uh, the guys that, you know, are going to be getting huge extensions and all NBA, all-star MVP conversation, those type of guys. Uh Beyond that, you know, there's really two types of role players. I think, you know, I'm going to put the three and D guys, so the guys that sort of can shoot threes and guard their position on the wing, and anyone who really can shoot the basketball in sort of the same category. And then the second or second sort of role player that is really valuable, I think, is not necessarily a shooter, but someone who can guard multiple positions. So they're, they're, they're not in that 3 and D category where they're like shooting 40% from the three-point line. But, um, you know, they they a guy like Andre Roberson actually has a ton of value in this league um, because he can guard multiple positions. Um, it's honestly what makes Draymond so great is that he can guard so many One positions. Five. Yeah, exactly. And, and LeBron, I mean, LeBron's like the ultimate example of yeah. that is he can guard anybody. It's, so w- before I got to the league, there was, a, there was like an influx of these guys that – like could guard multiple positions yeah. like Quintel Woods for example yeah. like he would probably have a place in today's NBA but back then the league was different so if you couldn't like iso yeah you know, there was this 5 year stretch where it was like if you couldn't iso Mike Dunleavy talks about this all the time with me if you couldn't iso like You're, you couldn't really play yeah. and that was the league and now uh it's it's different and you know the game has changed significantly so if you can find yourself offensively a little bit and guard multiple multiple positions, you have a you have a strong strong value in this league. Marco from San Jose, what opposing player has been most fun for you to watch this year? And second part, who do you fear the most uh, going up against? Well, Marco, I I don't fear anyone. Um, I, I 
I think inherently I look at every NBA player as as talented, uh, as as dangerous. I, I respect every opponent, whether I'm playing against James Harden or you know uh, a guy who's on a ten day up from the D League. Like I, I really believe everybody in our league can play, but I don't I don't fear anyone. Um, I got to say, Don, what Donovan Mitchell has done this year is it's pretty, is remarkable. It's pretty crazy. It is crazy, and. I was thinking about this the other day. The string, the, the, like the series of events that had to have happened uh, for him to be in this position. First of all, a bunch of teams had to pass him up. Yeah, including the Knicks. Including the Knicks. Who his dad played for. Uh, the for New York and fans. I love my guys in Detroit. And yeah. I love Luke Kennard. He's my Duke guy. But they, you know, they were the pick right before Donovan Mitchell. Um I believe De- Denver had to make the trade, right? Yeah. For Utah to Denver get that made the pick. trade. So De- Denver had to make the trade. They had to trade down. So a bunch 14. of teams had to pass him up. And then uh Gordon Hayward had to had to, you know, leave. Yeah. And so there's all these possessions that need to be used. George Hill had to leave too, so they bring and in it's Rubio. Also, it's also interesting because the Louisville he did not come into the league with a ton of hype. He was this yeah. there was this was not a thing that the casual fan was expecting at all. Franco and Tampa Bay. You talked about your basketball superpowers in the pod with Kyrie. What do you wish your non-basketball superpower was, if any? It's an interesting one. Uh, it is. Um, that's actually, I, I don't know that this is a superpower, but um, like the ability to uh, code and write my own um, financial al- algorithms <laughs> this is not so, a superpower. This is something you could take a class to no, learn how to no, do. No, no, I mean like like high level, <laughs> like next level, like, like Flash Boys style yeah, yeah, algorithms, yeah. like that sort of thing. Um, just to beat the markets, you know. It's just <laughs> just to do it one for one, one, one day. Yeah. You don't need to do it for the whole year. I would donate ten percent at least <laughs> to charity. Um, <laughs> no uh, financial or uh, superpower. Um, Man, no one likes to fly commercial, so probably flying. Benjamin in Seattle. If you had your American passport taken away and you were told you had to move to one foreign city for the rest of your life, where would it be and why? This is a great question. Great question. It's something that I think about often. I don't want to get political. Not, poli- not out of get, the realm of possibility. I don't want to get political right now, but this is something that I think about all the time because of gun, because of gun control. Yeah. I really do think about this all the time. Um, so, you know, the obvious answer would probably be like somewhere in Australia because it's English speaking and uh, they have gun control. Uh, but great food. It's Good so weather. hot there and it's just so far away from everything. Yeah. Um, then, so then I would like sort of lean towards Italy and Florence specifically. So somewhere in Tuscany, uh, I love wine and I could, I could hop down to Positano when I needed to, but Italy is a very corrupt country. Um, so I, I would, Venture to say it wouldn't be there. Um, what about Japan? That's actually uh, Tokyo would be Tokyo would be, would be a super interesting one because you would either just—I mean, I know you've been. Yeah, it's funny because when I when I the first day I got there to I, we, I went last summer with Spencer Hawes and my brother-in-law. We t- we took a little guys trip over there. We were there like five nights, and the first night we got back to our hotel fairly late. And I started looking up flights to um, to Hong Kong, Shanghai, <laughs> and there was one other city. Uh, 
I can't remember. Maybe Singapore, because I was like, I'm not. I don't like it here. I don't like it here. I'm leaving. We had a bad dinner experience. It was a Monday night, and like no one was. It was like surreal how quiet the streets were. So I was like, I'm leaving. And uh, thank God they talked me off the ledge. (laughs) But I ended up having an amazing time, and I love the culture. I love the country. I want to go back. I I, I go back this summer for. Well, it's so different. It's just, it's so. uh, I remember landing at JFK. Yeah. Getting back to to Brooklyn. um, And within like 24 hours being like, I wish I was back in Japan. And it's amazing because you like, you like, we're in New York City right now. And you think this is like when you're in the US, this is like, this is the, it's the biggest city in the country. This is the home. Yeah. And you go to Tokyo and there's no, there's no comparison. There's no comparison. In terms of the, in terms of the lights, in terms of the energy, in terms of the action. It just is, it feels like you're in like Blade Runner. Yes. Like it's, it feels like you're like, you're in like a different. That's what, that was my, Blade Runner was how I, I, uh, I described Hong Kong. You go to the Ritz in Hong Kong and it's like looking out past over the bay at the rest of like downtown Hong Kong. And it's, it looks like Blade, it looks like Blade Runner. It's super cool. It's really cool. I could be an expat in Tokyo. I'd say Tokyo. Here's here's an Australia question from Drew uh, Lazar in South Philly. I recently learned via social media that Ben Simmons delivered a talk about his native Australia at a team breakfast, and this is a tradition among the Sixers players. I'd love to know what topics you, JJ, and other members of the team have selected for their presentations thus far. In what ways does this uh, impact morale on the team and staff? Yeah, so Brett started this like team breakfast is what he calls it, team breakfast. He started it a few years ago, and from what I can understand, from what I know, like Jaleel Okafor his rookie year did a presentation on why NCAA athletes should be paid. I believe there was one player, I'm not going to say who, uh, did a presentation on why marijuana should be legal. Um, That's a good one. This, and I agree with it. Yeah. But there's also, like this year was like TJ McConnell did a presentation on coffee. Amir Johnson did a presentation on tattoo culture. Justin Anderson did one on how long are they, how the long history are they? of hip-hop. So they could be anywhere from like 20 minutes to 45 minutes. I did one. Um Mine was, uh, are we living in a simulation? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. (laughs) So it was a whole presentation on uh, on simulation theory. But it was was interesting. What was the the team reaction to this team of 22 and 23? It was interesting because I I didn't know what how they would react, and uh, the questions that I got afterwards were like high level. So we have like basically the entire basketball ops in this like lounge. So it's like trainers and <clears throat> front office people, obviously coaches, players. And like we went around the room and it was it was high level. Like there was some existential stuff. Like if the simulation theory is true, does that mean that God does not exist? And, you know, can can simulation theory and God coexist? I, I said, yes. I had my own little twist of why we're living in a simulation. And I said it was because uh, somehow Trump ended up president. So, so we're living in that point zero zero one simulation right now. And somehow he's Teflon and... Nothing, Nothing sort of sticks. sticks. Yeah. Nothing sticks. The, uh, but it was interesting because I, Todd Wright, our strength coach, we, for like a couple months, were going back and forth about what I should do my presentation on. And he really wanted me to do a presentation on emotional intelligence and how that impacts group dynamics hmm. relative to the team. And he thought it would be a good— That's also a good one. That's a, that's a tough one to present on. Yeah, for like. sure. Because it's it is sort of an individual thing, yeah. And then and then I told him I wanted to do a presentation on on tacos because I think they're the perfect food. 
And somehow on the East Coast, there's no there's no breakfast taco culture, and it no, really bothers me. Not at all. So I was gonna do because it's a bre- team breakfast. So I was only gonna, thing I was from gonna, LA is the taco. I was gonna have Jay do like a a whole a whole like tasting menu of breakfast oh, tacos, this like, the best one. like Austin style, like West Coast style, and uh, and then somehow I ended up doing. Are we living in situation? <laughs> speaking of speaking of tacos and breakfast tacos, Eric from San Diego, JJ. Always been super intrigued by the end of games that are not in doubt. Do coaches go over what they expect from you, whether you should dribble out, foul, etc.? Are players aware there are millions of dollars wagered on these games? And that last dribble out or meaningless three or foul down five with 10 seconds left is immense for some of us. Why, if one team dribbles out and absorbs a turnover, does the other team then get to host a 30-footer on the ultimate possession? What is the quid pro quo? Eric, great question. That is a great question. So first of all, Every year we are required to get anti-gambling training. Um, so we're not allowed to get Every year. So yeah, it's not it's not just year. like when you go to the league. You no, to it's get it. every year. So we are not allowed to to sort of tip in any way. Sometimes my brother asks me questions and I'm like, <laughs> I can't give you that information. No, he doesn't gamble, but like even to family members, like we're yeah. not supposed to, you know, give out information. Um the obviously we're not allowed to bet on games. However, I don't think players are aware of the line, but I know for a fact that coaching staffs talk about it and talk about it openly. Like there'll be times where like, let's say the line is like nine and a half and they'll be like hitting each other and they'll be like, it's 12, it's 12. How did these guys get it right? It's, oh my God, they just hit a three. It's nine now. Like it's, it's amazing sort of what happens at the end of the games. I was involved in a, in a game my sophomore year at Duke. It was the final four game. I think the line was one and a half. And we were down four with like three seconds to go. They hit a free throw to put them up four. And Duhon hit a half court, banked in a half court shot to to cut the lead to one at the buzzer. And, and that was huge. It, that was a, it was like, a, was like, it was like a billion dollar yeah, it was like swing. An it was one of the all time. It was swings. an all time bad beat. <laughs> However, I have no clue what the line is going yeah. to the game. But the thing is, it's, it it the, what makes basketball different than other sports is. From a fan's perspective, these switches happen so fast. Yeah. So, like in football, or definitely like in baseball, or something like that. If you're if you're betting on the game, it's just so many things have to happen for this to flip. Like, yeah. This is Chris Duan hitting a, a 45 yeah. foot shot. There's like there's it's it, it's a, but this is why people love it too, though, because yeah. they 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 embrace the craziness. I'm of curious it. to see how this is going to work. I know the league is trying to sort of regulate this gambling and. Take even take a percentage of it, which is very interesting. Yeah. Um, it's all everything. Bill's seems boy like, Bob on Twitter is like he is. <laughs> he is. Uh, he's he's pretty heated it, at the league it, for even a, suggesting that they could take one percent. It's all changing pretty quickly. Um, in, in terms of the the etiquette, so generally the etiquette is the team that is winning. If there's let's say thirty two seconds on the clock and they're up by twelve. You know, generally speaking, you you run out the clock and you take that team turnover. A lot of people don't realize that's a team turnover. It's not the guy holding the ball. It's yeah. the team turnover. Um, so Rob Perez, shout out Rob Perez. The bubonic plague actually doesn't exist. Shout out uh, Rob Perez, whose studio we're in right now. <laughs> I know. Uh, and then the team that is losing can pretty much do whatever they want. Because at that point, generally speaking, you might have young guys in. And those guys just want to get a shot up. They yeah. just want to see. They're, if not they're, they're not worried. They just about want to the, see if they're on fire. They're not worried about the, the, the degenerates <laughs> yeah. in, uh, in yeah. Vegas. Courtney Thew with a uh, with a good question. Big fan, JJ. He says Courtney. He or she possibly. 
Uh, we all know of your structured and precise pregame routine. Which of your teammates has had the most nonchalant approach to games and why? Oof. This is a hard question to answer. And I'll tell you, it's not because I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but because I really am like so locked in. I'm in my own little world. Oh, we know. No, I'm in my the own whole, little world. Everyone who reads the New York Times knows. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, it, I, have to tell, I have to tell reporters this that are in the locker room. So they can come in the locker room like usually 75 to 45 on the countdown clock. And I usually swing through the locker room to put my tights and my socks on at about like 65 on the clock. And if a reporter is not our beat writer, they don't know like that I, I'm – not talking. I'm not talking. Yeah, like I'm in, I'm in my I'm in my zone, and so it can kind of come across as like I'm aloof or like trying to be an asshole. But I'm really I just like I'm so locked in. Yeah. So it's, I don't even notice what my other teammates do. I talked to Ray, and I think Ray talks about this in his book, and I know in a in a Jackie McCollum piece from 2008, Ray Allen talked about this. But Paul Pierce did have a pretty like loose vibe before he just a game. Pop in. Yeah. Like he'd like you'd look at him and it'd be like. 27 on the countdown clock and he'd be he'd be like eating a a, a taco and i'm like where'd well, you get your taco well, from you, you guys you guys talked about this a little bit uh on the pod but do you think this is a thing that's that that shooters just have more like like are there any shooters that you know of who've just been like some of the leagues best shooters who are nonchalant or no just, they're, they're the most you superstitious just, you people just in the world you can't you they're can't the have both things happen people in the world yeah because yeah. that's what's that's what's so interesting is i feel like there's definitely i mean like look at a guy like like Ron Artest, like that, yeah. like he's he's doing God knows what before yeah. the game, and he shows out, he goes out there and still plays well. But he's not a he's not a specialist. So the only the only person that I this is not meant to throw him under the bus because I love him to death and he's a current teammate. But like what Joel is able to do, given his pregame preparation, is is startling. I mean, there was a game recently where I said to Dario before the game, like Joe is like just in he was in one of those it was one of those days, like he was just. Just not really doing anything pregame. Yeah. He usually comes out with like eight minutes to go on the clock <laughs> and sometimes not wearing shoes. <laughs> and like, so we like, we're getting ready to go out for warm ups, like let's say 18 minutes on the clock. And Joe was in the training room. I, I'm not even sure he'd put his uniform on yet. And I said to Dari, I was like, dude, I wish I could be like that. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, I wish I didn't have to do you all the stuff I have in. to do because yeah. Joe is so good. I said, he's going to have, he's going to have 20 and 15 tonight. And he ended up with 21 and 18. <laughs> like, he's just that good. Life is fair, man. Yeah, whatever. It's all good. I you're love not, you, Joe. You're not mad about it or anything. <laughs> Brett in Tuscaloosa. What's the overall vibe on Trump in the NBA locker rooms these days? Mm. Mm. We talked about Trump more when I was with the Clippers. Um, we have spoken about some things that have happened since I've been in Philly. And that's mostly like Brett, again, bringing stuff up in team meetings. Um, I think the NBA by and large, as everyone knows, has is, is become very politically active, yep. specifically when it comes to social justice. And because some of the things Trump has said over the last two or three years flies in the face of social justice, uh, there is a lot of animosity towards him in the league. Uh, J- <laughs> Jared Jack, who I've known since we were like 14, he he didn't like a call that the refs called against me in the Christmas Day game. And I think it was like I, I, he fouled me on a three. And so he's like talking to the refs. I thought he was talking to me. I was just shooting free throws. And he goes something like, 
just because he just because he's white doesn't mean you can treat him like Trump or something along those lines. And I lay, I got, I, got, I was like offended. I was like, Jared, you Jared, you, you can't, know, you can't say that. Don't compare me to Trump. You know me. I think we got double T's or maybe we got separated or something. Cause I was so mad. Um, I mean, people, pretty, like, look, people hate bad. the guy. People hate the guy. Bad. People yeah. hate the guy. It's a, it's, and I would say too, I don't know that people respect the guy. Like LeBron has sunned him on multiple occasions. Yeah. And literally sunned him. Sunned him. Literally sunned him. That's it. There's no other word to describe it but that. Yeah. There's also the thing with these with the with like team with, with championship teams going to the White House. I don't even think it's a consideration for these teams. Like I don't I think now it's oh, a, no, no, no. it's not it's the, it's not a judgment call. You'd have anymore. to deal with you'd have to deal with more shit if you went to the White so House. So much than more not shit going. from everybody in your life. Yeah. <laughs> There's no being yeah. in a photo with him is is I'm curious to see what what Villanova does. Yeah, because it's trickier with it's, colleges. It, it is. It is. It's very tricky. And players, by and large, haven't um, they haven't grasped that sort of self-expression and self-empowerment yet. Yeah. And so it, it just it's the, especially the, if the nature not, of the NCAA. Especially if they're not graduating and they're coming yeah. back. It just becomes a little it's, bit it's it's tricky. Yeah. Um and I'm wondering so I'm I'm wondering I'm wondering what they do. Because they're in that world. Like Villanova's in that world. They're in the this NBA basketball you know, predominantly African-American team. Like, yeah. it's interesting what they're going to do. Ben Pertel, I'm guessing from Philadelphia based on this question. Does the energy of or mood of the team change at all after the success of other Philly teams, i.e. the Eagles winning the Super Bowl and or Nova winning the tourney? Um, I don't think the mood of the team changes. The mood of the city and the fans change. The Philly fans are nuts. Um, I mean, we're, sti- we're we're still getting the the Eagles chance at our home games. Um, it's April. It's April. We're playing the Cavs tomorrow. The draft is in two a weeks. Big Friday night game. <laughs> like, there's going to be Eagles chance at the games. Um, it's why I'm looking. That's why I think home court advantage in the first round would be so important for us because our home crowd uh, is could be a deciding factor. I really believe that. Like, even just playing last night in Detroit, where the arena's half full, like, it's a totally different feel than our home games right now. Our yeah. home games right now are, are raucous. They're, they're amazing. We're playing in front of amazing fans. And so, by and large, the, the fans in the city have, have sort of fed off that energy from, from winning uh, the, the Super Bowl and winning a national ch- championship. Hang tight. We'll be back for more emails after a break to hear from our sponsor. So, back to Mattress Firm. Let's keep the ball rolling, shall we? Everyone knows how important stretching is before an event. So does Mattress Firm. Your budget stretches further at Mattress Firm, so shop at America's neighborhood mattress store. They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise, but know this, they are more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed, from adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor. They have you literally and figuratively covered like your favorite guard or cornerback. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening as I read this sentence to you. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com and use code PODCAST15. That's PODCAST15 for 15% off. The code is only valid through April 10th, so don't miss out. This is a fantastic deal. 15% off a mattress. Get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow only at Mattress Firm. And now back to show. We got a we got a uh, 
uh, international question here. Felix yeah. Blom from Sweden. Hi, JJ. Long-time listener from Sweden checking in. Love the pod. So my question is, going into the playoffs, how will you, as the experienced playoff veteran, help guide the young and inexperienced core to success? I think the key word there is, is help. You know, I think I, I, can, be a, I can be a help um, but I can't, I can't do it. You know, it's, yeah. it's uh, like, like Ben and Joe are our best players. You know, there's no doubt about that. And they've got to, they've got to be great. You know, I can supplement them. Dario and I can supplement them. Rob, Marco, Urson, TJ, like all of us can supplement Ben and Joe. Um, so we can help them. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've kind of talked about, uh, habits and um, routines a ton with the, the guys. And so one of the things I think in the playoffs is like you have to lock in more and you have to really pay attention. The attention to detail is huge. By game three, you should know every single play. I've, I've said that to multiple guys. Here we go. Dustin Kern. There's always a lot of talk that underclassmen, if an NBA prospect should go to the draft. Did you have any pressure when you were at Duke to leave earlier? Do you ever regret not leaving earlier? I had zero pressure. I, I felt zero pressure to leave early. There, there would have been an opportunity after my junior year um, to to leave, and and is, when I was doing the draft process the next year after my senior year, I met with Danny Ainge, and he's like, "If you come out, I would have guaranteed you at 18, which is the pick. They ended up drafting Gerald Green at 18 yeah. that year, but had I known that. <laughs> I might have left. So there's only there was only That's one an interesting one. There was if. only one factor for me, and that was winning a championship. Yeah. So like had I won a championship prior to my junior year, I probably would have left. I, I also didn't have like I, I've talked about this before. So when I was growing up from the time of seven on, the only thing I wanted to do was play at Duke. Like there was no I, I mean, NBA was like such a long shot in my mind. Like it was all like, let's go to Duke, let's go to Duke. So I played my freshman year at Duke, and then my sophomore year starts, and I'm like, okay, I'm at Duke. What now? Yeah. Like there was this. It was my sophomore year was the hardest year of my life, straight up. It was, and so, you know, I, it was like this this thing, like what what's next? And had I gone into Duke, I think with a different mindset, like I'm gonna just try to kill and and work and not be a frat kid for two years, I probably I probably would have and could have left early. Yeah. Um. In regards to sort of a general thing, like I think kids, if there's an opportunity to go profession to go pro, I think they should go pro. For, I hate I hate when people say they need to go back to college to develop more. No, they don't. No, they don't. First of all, well, look at look at someone like, go to, they look at someone go like to, DeAndre Ayton. Like, how much more does he have to develop? No, it's not the player develop. Okay, in 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 the NBA. There's an entire team of player development coaches that work job. with you yeah. literally 24-7 every day. You don't have to go to class. Like, there's nothing – like, people become professional lawyers. People become professional doctors. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with people becoming professional, professional athletes. Yes. Like, this yeah. is what, this is what they're, they're going to do. This is what they're going to do for 15 to 20 years. There's nothing wrong with that. Just leave. Yeah. Just leave. Two more, two more quick Duke questions. From Shocker Salmon in Hollywood. You took a lot of heat as a Duke player back in the day. Ringer staffer. Does that hate still follow you to NBA arenas? I think he went to Duke. Does that hate still follow oh, you to okay, NBA nice. arenas all these years later? Or is it specific to when you're playing around Maryland? For a, a large portion of my career, every time that I would play in Charlotte or 
uh, Washington, D.C. And you always I, have good games in Charlotte. I would get booed. I would get booed. Uh, sometimes every time I touch the ball. Um, now, not so much. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know the reason why, because I know that Maryland fans probably still hate Duke and Carolina fans still hate Duke, but... Alex Rosenthal is an interesting one. How difficult do you think it'll be for Ben and uh, Mark Markel to improve uh, their jumpers? Is it a question of practice time, intensity? Why do some guys, like Jay Kidd, for example, develop them and, and others don't? Um, I, mean, I, w- I would say specifically with Ben and Markel, um, you know, there's there's a there's a there's a functional issue in terms of shooting form. Markel obviously had a shoulder injury. Um, and I think Ben's form left-handed is worse than his form right-handed. Um, but I've seen Ben's improvement, and Ben has worked extremely hard with Lloyd Pierce, one of our one of our assistant coaches. After pretty much every practice and every shoot around, like he's worked on a shot and. He's gotten better. Yeah, like, his, free throws, his free throw numbers have gotten a lot. Yeah, better. It's, it's like he's not shooting set threes, but like he does them in shoot around sometimes, and I'm like, ah, they look good. And they go in. Yeah. So there's a potential there, I think, for both those guys to become good shooters. Um, do they need a jump shot? Um, I think eventually, if they're going to play heavy minutes together, one of them will need to be able to space the floor. That's just the modern NBA. Um, but right now, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I think they're fine, and I yeah. think they. I think both of them because of like both those guys want to be great. You know what I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's not like neither of those guys like oh, I'm in the league now, and I'm like like Ben has aspirations. Well, Markel can, has aspirations. I mean, you can see it. So like, they're going to be we great. We haven't seen much of Markel, obviously, but you can see it with Ben when you watch him. So Kevin <laughs> Kevin O'Connor, from I know that guy. Ringer, uh, yeah. He he sent in a question. He I uh, said in 2016. You, for two years, tried convincing DeAndre Jordan to switch shooting hands. Would you ever suggest the same thing to Ben? I've already suggested it to Ben. And how did it go over? Uh, ben is incredible because he's, the, he's like literally the most receptive young player that I've ever been around. Um, not just with me, like with, with any of the coaches, with Brett. He's just really receptive. Like he seemed open to the idea. I don't want to mess with him. Like, yeah. I also think that since I said that to him, which was like October, November – was the first time I saw him shoot shoot right-handed. He's gotten better left-handed. So I, I don't know that it's necessary with him. The other thing with Ben, too, is like someone some, – you, you need shooting around Ben. But I don't think Ben ever needs to have a jump shot to be an effective player. In nut-cutting time, as Brett calls it, in nut-cutting time in a game seven – would it help for him to be able to knock down threes? Yeah, absolutely. But like the guy is going to average a triple double or close to a triple double for his whole career. Yeah. Simply because he's six ten and can get <laughs> wherever he wants to go yeah. and throw the ball wherever he wants to go. Yeah. And he's and it's also you want him doing the things he's confident he feels confident doing. So if you can feel if he feels it can get to the hole on yeah. any possession, then do that. Yeah. Right. 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 Thank you, everybody, for sending in questions. Um, you guys are, before we leave, you guys are, the Sixers are really rolling right now. Are we, you, we are. Are you? Uh, it's a little surreal. Yeah. 12 wins in a row. What's what's your record? You're 19 and 5 since you traded for Marco? We're 19, I, I think, so we're 48 and 30. Marco played in the last game before All-Star break, which was our 30th win to take us to 30 and 25. So that would be 19 and 5, yeah. We're 19 and 5. 
where I were 34 and 12 since Christmas, which I believe is the second best record in the league besides Houston over that stretch. And and you're in the top three defensively, right? In the league since, top since that stretch? Yeah, I think we're number one since Christmas. Yeah. But I, we're, I, for the season, I think we're top three or four. Um, we're a good team. I mean, we're a good team. Well, I, the, the crazy the crazy thing about it is, if you guys the, the the team obviously gets an incredible amount of attention on for for Markel for Joe for Ben yeah. everything like individually. But I also think that that people sort of sleep on the actual team on the actual team like <laughs> yeah. what the actual team is doing yeah. and what the projections yeah. of the team were going into the season to what they are doing now. And right. so it becomes like. Oh well, well the process worked, and and Joe Joe made it, and Ben made it, and yes, they're great. But like like we talked about, like Marco and Ursan, it's like that. Those guys yeah. are they're delivering. Well, I I think we we are like we're social media darlings in the sense because we have we have a Joel, yeah. Uh, we have Ben Simmons who is on House of Highlights nearly every night. Yeah. Um, the entire Ringer staff is Seventy Sixers fans. <laughs> So we get a lot of love from the ringer. You get a lot of love from the ringer. That is I'm for surprised, sure. like for being an employee of the ringer, how little love I get from like John Gonzalez. Like You know what it is? You know what you know what it is? Because what is, I think people are worried that it's gonna seem too Homerous, like it's gonna be too homerous. Yeah. It's like if we just gas JJ up all the time. This is this is this is the problem. It's this frustrating. Is, you just it's can't win. I read I read these like Great in-depth pieces, and I don't even get You're to like, mention. You're like, where the fuck am I? I'm scoring 70 points a game. It's all right. Uh, no one like, knows this. It's, like, but it's all right. I don't read everything about me or anything. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I do read the – I don't read everything about me. Come on. I read the if, – if I'm in the New York Times, I'll read that, all right? And if I'm in if I'm on the ringer, I'll read that. No, so – I. but I, I, this is something that I've, I've, like, started to really stress with our team. Like, let's not forget, like, about this year. Like everybody's yeah. like, oh, they're going to be good in the East coming up, but like we, we we have a chance. I don't know. I'm not saying like we can win the conference or we can win the NBA championship. Just, but maybe we can. I but, don't know. But, but you put yourself in a position to that you could potentially to make a run in the week. playoffs. You're going to, and if you're the three seed, yeah. in whatever conference you're in, you always have a chance. Right. You're not sneaking in anywhere anymore. Right. So I, I think we we really need to like take advantage of this opportunity. You, yeah. you don't like again. You don't know. I was on. The, the Orlando team that made the finals in 2009 was my third year. It was Jameer and Dwight's fifth year. And I remember when we lost to L.A., Jameer and Dwight, like, sat next to each other on the court. They watched the Lakers celebrate. I was over in the corner, like, by the hallway, like, watching them celebrate. And I remember thinking to myself, like, looking at those two guys, being like, they're both under contract. We just signed Richard. He's under contract. We have a bunch of young assets. Like, we're going to be back here next year or the year after that. Like, I thought we were going to be back every year. And the league evolves, number one. Yep. You don't know about health, and you don't know how teams evolve. Teams can grow stale. So you don't know. You can't, like, just assume there's going to be a carryover to yeah. the next year. That's not how the league works. No. Never. At all. Never. It never has. And, yeah. and, and uh, you know, especially with health, with you guys, because you guys yeah. have you've had, you've had a lot of that stuff. And so it's like you're all rolling now, and so you just got to keep it, keep uh, it moving. I don't, I don't always – well – it's an entirely different topic, but I don't get the hate, like the the hate towards the Sixers medical staff. In my experience, they've been great. They've been great. This is just what happens when you're you guys are under. Like we've a, had like you're under a microscope. Like Ben, like but Ben's injury, like you know, like these guys have had injuries. Like I guess maybe the frustration is like how they handled Joel's meniscus last year. Is that that? 
from, but from, other than that, from like, my understanding, the, from my understanding, it's a, a lot of it is a communication thing. Yeah. So it's it's not that there's nothing you can do about injuries, but it's how how you tell the outside world who's refreshing their yeah. Twitter and Reddit and everything every ten seconds what the injury is, and if you get caught a couple times changing the story, changing the story, yeah. and these people see it all, they see the first story, they see the second story, then but that's all of not the medical staff. That's more PR. But it's but it's they blame they blame who they can blame, you know. And so that's where they. But this is also this is like this well, I'm is. Not, I'm, hold on, I'm not blaming PR either. I'm no, just saying the, like no, there, you guys, your PR I agree. Is great. There's been a little bit of a breakdown in communication. Yeah, but I also um, think that this is you know the alternative. Uh, what's lucky about this for you guys? The alternative is like you could be on a team. And there are teams that are like this that are going into the playoffs, and like people just don't really care. You've been on teams like that before, where like you're a you're a mid level seed, and no one in the city even knows you're even in the playoffs. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like yeah. that is a reality of like professional sports. So like, yeah. if you're on a team where people are are really passionate, then you guys will have that home court advantage. Yeah. Versus if you're if you're somewhere where yeah, you know what, right. like you tear your you want to be a, on, on the on, you want to be a team on the rise. You don't want to be yeah. a team like. Like really, like my last year with Stan, where it was like we were the, I, we were in the four or five matchup, and we had gone from like finals, conference finals, first round, and then yeah. we were in the four or five. Well, the rise, and it's also this is. I mean, we've talked about this before. Like one of the things with the Clippers is like this is a reality that 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 team and they still do face it, and it's a frustration of, and it's not. It has nothing to do with the actual people who work for the team or anything like that. It's just the city. It's like LA is just a it's a ridiculous place where where you guys I, I went to the I was at the when we were at Game Five or, or Six of the Jazz series last year and you could walk into the game for a hundred bucks and this is a, this is a high level yeah. NBA playoff game with two teams that could, could conceivably maybe not make the finals but like challenge the Warriors yeah. down the road and that's just because that's how the city was and like Philadelphia like you ain't walking in anywhere <laughs> no. for a hundred bucks no. I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks for all the questions. We'll do another one of these uh, someday soon. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this special mailbag episode of the JJ Reddick podcast. If you like the show, please give us a five star rating and review on Apple Podcast. And as always, if you have suggestions or comments about the show, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at JJ Reddick. We'll be back soon. Take care. Also like to thank today's special guest, Tommy. Before we go, we have some exciting news for all of you ringer heads out there. The ringer has new merchandise with a shiny new storefront that you can check out right now. We have hats, hoodies, and even an exclusive Shea Serrano disrespectful dunk t-shirt. Your friends will be jealous when they see you strutting down the street with an official Ringer zip-up hoodie. Previously available only to Ringer staffers, we are letting you, our loyal listeners, get first dibs on the goods. Go to theringer.com slash shop to pre-order your merch now. These are limited run items and will not last long. Once they are gone, they are gone. Again, check out theringer.com slash shop to pre-order your official Ringer merchandise today. You can also find the link to the Ringer web store in the show notes.